Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. I've never told anyone this, but I, I used to walk back. I knew I'd bowl well when I'd walk back, and I would just I'd get my left hand, I'd touch my stomach. And if, if, if I could feel abs and feel like a rock there, mm. I've done the hard work. Yeah. There's times I feel a bit of a roof. <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating myself. Yeah. Because to bowl fast, you've got to be... Got to be like a like a bloody machine. Yeah, absolutely. Like a so that race, that, and that to me mental strength and yeah. training was as if not more important than the action itself. Because if I knew upstairs that I'm fit, I'm in good nick, I feel comfortable, ninety percent of the work's done. Today is another really special day for me on lessons learnt with the greats. On this episode, I have the absolute privilege to talk to and gain incredible insights from one of the best and fastest bowlers the world has ever seen and one of the best people you could ever meet in your life. We have experienced so much together on and off the field and it gives me great pleasure to welcome Brett Lee to my show. What a a great introduction. Thanks, mate. (laughs) I'll pay you after for it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to just roll off a few amazing statistics. Okay. Binger played 76 test matches, taking 310 wickets with 10 five-wicket hauls. He played 221 one-day internationals, taking 380 wickets at an average of 23.36, which are crazy numbers, Binger. He played 25 T20 internationals, taking 28 wickets at an average of 25.5. That is amazing reading, Binger. I'll go on. I'm just going to indulge myself a little bit here as well, actually. There's some career highlights for me that really stand out, um, and I want to indulge, if you don't mind. Sure. I'll get a bit embarrassed. But okay. <laughs> okay. The first one that really stands out, like it was yesterday, was your debut. 1999 Boxing Day Test versus India. It's fresh, young, 23-year-old, blonde hair, blue eyes, pretty, pretty tanned. Um, took five for 47 and terrorised the Indian batsman. I do remember like as yesterday because the thing that really stood out the most was I'd never – I'd seen highlights of Jeff Thompson, seen like a YouTube clip or something like that of him bowling at, at a couple of balls here and there. Yeah. But to actually watch live with my own eyes, someone bowling consistently way above 150 Ks, like that just hadn't been – that hadn't been done before. Like in my life and watching cricket, that just hadn't been done. And then to be able to swing the ball away again – pure speed and then be able to have the control of your wrist to be able to actually swing it away. Crazy. And that was just something that really just, it just hadn't happened before. Obviously show back to around that time, but this was just, it was a breath of fresh air. So that was my first thing that I really remember. 
Thanks, mate. Those Indian batsmen. Those Indian batsmen are just like, what the hell is this? Paul Buggers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next highlight is absolutely the 2003 World Cup campaign. That was good like, fun. really sadly, I missed out on it because my back had packed it in again. So I missed no. out on being on the junket, but that, so this is not about me. Hatchery against Kenya in a World Cup. Awesome, no question. But two, 22 wickets in a World Cup winning campaign is phenomenal. You're at your peak, your powers, bowling fast, control, taking wickets, crucial wickets, keeping the runs down when you needed to. That's what, well, that's what dreams are made of. Mm. That was amazing. Okay, we've got one more as well. <laughs> okay, so, and the other one that it really stands out to me from a test cricket point of view, I, I do remember really clearly 2007 8, the summer, it seemed like every time you bowled in an innings, you got four, you got, you got four wickets every it's time. India, yeah. Yeah. And for me, that really, that really stands out as being when peak of your powers from a point of view is you're in total control of your game. You knew exactly what you're doing, still bowling serious wheels, but just the, you just seemed in a great space where every time you went out, you just took wickets consistently. So four wickets, it seemed like just went on and on every, every inning. So I remember, I remember seeing that it come up on the screen. It's just like four wickets, four wickets, four wickets, four wickets. So that was, that was a really big highlight. I've given you a few of my favourite highlights. Is there one or two for you that, that really stands out, the thing, incredible things you're able to achieve? Well, firstly, thank you for that amazing introduction. And um, look, it, it's, it's nice to hear those stats and to hear, you know, I guess how my career, un, you know, unfolded. Um, to me, it was – I was playing career because I loved it. And, I, you know, I say now that, you know, I wouldn't have told cricket Australia at the time or the ACB back then, but – to me, it was like I'd play cricket for free because I absolutely loved it. And to get paid, I thought was criminal. I thought, how could they pay me to do something that I love? <laughs> I think a favourite memories uh, would have to be my first test, bowling that first over, get my baggy green cap. But one that outshines everything, and it's hard to outshine the baggy green, but to walk out in a one-day match with my brother and seeing Shane yes. Lee, number 20, on his back, B. Lee, you know, number 58 on my back, dreaming about in the backyard with my younger brother, Grant, who was, I can clearly say that he was better than us put together, but (laughs) didn't want to chase that dream. Mm. And we'll get to mental strength and we'll get to what you want in life later on. But that, that to me was to achieve that dream was absolutely amazing. And it was like we're playing backyard cricket in our pyjamas. Myself and Shane, S-War, M-War, we had two sets of brothers in the same one-day team. (laughs) That that was a dream and a dream that came true, and then all the rest has sort of followed after that. And that's what it started with. <laughs> yeah, for you as well. That was I, I like mean, one day it, one day internationals when you first started in the Australian how do you top team. That? Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's crazy, and it, it's yeah, I've, I've, yeah it's we played twenty two games together. I think <laughs> it was, and Shane played forty five or forty seven games for Australia. Right. And I'm re- yeah. I'm really really proud of what he's achieved. You yeah, know, he should have done a lot more. Yeah. With his talent, um, some timing issues as well. You know, some great all-rounders around at that stage. But yeah, to to walk on the field and grace the field and play at the SCG with him and and hug each other when we got a wicket that was that was great. I dive into a few of the the more de- uh, deeper questions. So when we talk about skills, let and learn uh, lessons learnt. So from a bowling point of view, was there one specific technical component to your bowling which you knew? Once I developed this and got this right, 
if I repeated this every ball, I was going to be able to bowl at the best of my abilities every single time. Yeah, well, look, to me, bowling had to be made very, very simple, but it's very complex when you break it all down. Mm. So, I mean, the, the, the best way I can try to explain the bowling action is it starts with, if I'm going to try and teach a young bowler, so if I'm going to teach a young Shane Watson or a young B. Lee how to bowl or my son Preston, what do I do? What's the first thing do I teach him? And you see and hear some coaches talk about the front arm. You know, you hear other coaches talk about the front leg and mm-hmm. the, that, that brace front leg and yep. the follow-through, all these types of things. I would take the ball away from the bowler straight away. So I'd take the ball in their hand okay. and they'll be going, well, how can, I, how can I be a better bowler? And I say to bowl fast, purely fast, not yep. spin, not medium pace, to be a good fast bowler, you've got to be a good sprinter. So the first thing I'd work on okay. is your sprint. Yep. And your sprinting capacity, your sprinting ability, how quickly you can turn your legs over. Because bowling's all about trying to get that, that mass, that weight, from one end, from your hand, down to the batsman as quickly as possible. And you don't want nothing to interfere. And what interferes is a mixed action, mm. you know, counter-rotation, hyperextension, layman's terms. It's twisting and turning of the spine, fighting against your own body weight, falling away, pushing the ball. These are all things that stop you are able to move that mass from your hand, yep. 156 grams, yep. down to some poor little helpless batsman <laughs> as quickly as possible. Yep. So in order to get that ball down there as quickly as possible, you had to be a good sprinter. Yep. So I worked on the 100-metre sprint. To yep. me, that was like fast-twitch fibres. There's an element you have to be born with ability to be able to run quickly too, and yep. my mum was a 100-metre sprinter. You know, she it's went to the Australian titles and, yep. you know, Mum, mum always says that um, dad had the. Sorry, dad always says that he had the talent. Mum rings, he's full of it. <laughs> I reckon they both had some talent on their sides, and, yeah. and dad with the mental strength, and mum with the sporting ability. Yeah. But that's the first thing I'll do. Once you tick that box and you work very hard on your sprint training, in order to speed those legs up. So, I had to run in eighty-five percent of my capacity of yeah. what I could sprint. Yeah. But there was days where I felt like I was lagging. So my 85% might be 93%. Yeah, so I'm working harder to yep. get to that same rhythm and that yep. same capacity of – so I worked really hard on my sprinting. So then when I was bowling and feeling comfortable at the crease, I was doing it easy. Yep. The 85% because I was fit, all my body weight was going towards the target. There was no falling away. That was the first thing. Second thing is that with your action – Imagine on a tennis court the um, the single line and the double line or a tram line. Yeah. Imagine if you look down a train track, you see a train tracks or tram lines. You should be able to bowl your complete action in between those two tram lines. Yeah, so bowling down a corridor. Bowling down the corridors. Yeah. You should never touch hmm. the corridor wall. You should never yeah. go outside the tram lines or the tennis court lines. Yeah. Because that there is is falling away. It's, it's creating excess time. Um, the quickest point, uh, quickest um, you know, time between two points is a straight line. If, yeah. if, if you want to get to a, a, you know, a destination or a target, you do a straight line as the crow flies. Yeah. If you put all these little weaves in and you're moving around and your action's falling away and you're yeah. losing speed, you're losing pace, losing momentum, you're losing speed. And you know, that's, that's crucial in fast bowling. Yeah. Yeah, momentum going straight at the target. Straight at the target. anything anywhere else, is it? Yeah. So I, I used to always try and jump towards mm. Gilly's right foot. Yep. 
or the off stump. Yep. Run in straight, don't fall away. That's when then the whole technical with your action, you know, with my left arm uh, almost trying to punch myself in the nose, with my left arm going from, you know, that running action of my hands going, you know, not across my body too much, nice and straight, and then punch my left arm up, try and grab a star out of the sky, rip it down, what they call breaking the arm, so you're not using a long lever. So Mm. your hand's not going towards a batsman. It goes up from the stars and then snaps back down past your body. Uh, That is also pace and time because your bowling arm is always waiting to come over, but it can't come over unless your left arm, for me being a right-hand bowler, my left arm or my lead arm can snap through. Once that pulls through and gets past my hips, then the right arm or the bowling arm follows. As for a left-handed bowler, the right arm snaps up, snaps down, the left arm or the bowling arm then follows through. Yep. So when you, it's fascinating you talk about it like that and break it down because the one thing from my point of view as well is coaches say a lot of the time, just practice your technical things at training and then go into the game and just forget about it. Mm. There's it's te- hard. There's technical checklists that you've got to go through every ball in a game. Like what you said, making sure you're getting your running speed right. And there is no doubt what you said there about momentum. Mm. That's how you bowl fast. And you just when, said, when like, I bowl my quickest, I was steaming in. Steaming in. Because your momentum, you need momentum to be able to get the ball to fly yeah. out of your hand. So, because you're a fast runner, and then also the power that you had in the crease, because even without the momentum, mm. let's break it down. Even without the momentum of running in fast, you could bowl fast off a few steps. You could compared to someone like me, for example, right? You could bowl faster because you're fast twitch fibers. You could bowl faster off a short off a short run. But consistently and not Consist- hurting your body. Exactly, right? But yep. just off a couple of steps, you're, you're powerful, and that's because you're breaking force as well that you had at the crease, right? Which is why you needed... And, and a strong backside. <laughs> slightly more, thickest, um, longer spikes than that to be able to get that's the breaking right. force, right? But um, So that checklist... People have got to realise how important that technical checklist is. It's not overthinking it, but just knowing, okay, one, step one is my run-up speed, making sure that is what I need. And for me to be at my best and bowl for my fastest, my run-up speed, mm. speed needs to be right up there. But you know what, too, what it's that, that technical checklist was with me until I bowled the last ball of my career. Yeah, exactly. I'm standing in Canberra bowling the last mm. ball for the Big Bash final, yep. still working on my action with one ball to go. And that checklist to me... And maybe, maybe the checklist was to keep that positive momentum. Maybe it was to keep that consistency that, um, you know, when you think about what got me to the level it got me to, it's you have to do things day in, day out. It's like a golf ball, you know, a golf hitting a million golf balls. Yeah. But me, it was like I had my checkpoints. So I'd walk yeah. back, I'd have the over worked out in my, in my mind before I bowled the first ball. Yeah. Top of the mark, what am I thinking? St- stand tall. Stand as tall as that light tower. Yeah. I had to stand tall. If I, if I fell away, which I used to, yep. when I was tired start, yep. and fatigued, yep. I'm going to hurt my body, gonna lose power and lose pace at the crease. Not going yep. to help anyone. Then it was like I'd close my eyes for a split second and top of the mark and I'd visualise where I wanted the ball to go. And to me, my stock standard ball was, I go, bang, I see myself coming in a bit like um, a 4K camera above my head, watching me running the bowl behind, just Mm -hmm. slightly behind so I can see my action, see my legs pumping, my arms pumping, I'm running in. I see the jump at the crease from four metres back from where I set the umpire, where I take off from. I see me fly through the air, land, 
you know, left arm goes up, snaps down hard, pulls a star out of the sky. I see the right arm follow through. I see the ball shape away. I see Sachin Tanduk or whoever it is <laughs> go forward, play the nick, and Gilly take yeah. a speck into his right. Yeah. That, I visualise that every single ball <laughs> when I try to bowl that perfect yeah. top of off. Yeah. That, what that checklist does do, it means every ball, you're, just, you're actually critiquing what happened to the last ball. Yep. It's like, okay, where, how was I? <laughs> how was I? How was my run-up speed? How was my front arm? Was my front arm where it needed to be? Did it mm. actually reach up for the sky? Did I actually follow through straight? The, and you, as you said, for the, even the last ball that you bowled in the big yeah. bash. Still doing it. Absolutely, because you need that to be able to actually just keep critiquing every ball to go, how was I compared to when, I'm at, like, when it flies out and it's perfectly bowled? So you just, you're going through and you're continuing to evolve and learn every ball to go, okay, well, I wasn't, that was perfect, great. I don't think about it, let's do it again. And then, you know, you hear people say or talk about rhythm. I mean, what, what is rhythm? <laughs> to me, rhythm is being in that perfect space where you got a clear mind, uh, you let the, the action or the bowling do the talking, but that happens because of your checklist. That happens because you're comfortable <laughs> at the crease. That happens because of the training you do. I used to walk back. And your and, mindset. And I've never told anyone this, but I, I, I used to walk back, yeah, exactly your mindset, I knew I'd bowl well when I'd walk back and I would just I'd get my left hand, I'd touch my stomach. Mm. If, if, if I could feel abs and feel like a rock there, mm. I've done the hard work. Yeah. There's times I feel a bit of a roof. <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating myself. Yeah. Because to bowl fast, you've got to be, got to be like, a, like a bloody machine. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be like a yeah, so that, race, that, race that, that, I know I'm chopping and changing from yeah. action and stuff. No. But to me, mental strength and yeah. training was as if not more important than the action itself because if I knew upstairs that I'm fit, I'm in good nick, I feel comfortable, 90% of the work's done. Yeah. We'll definitely dig into that even more because that's gold, absolute gold. For people now who didn't really or might have been younger when you were playing your career, it is – it's incredibly hard to get your head around how the hell you could bowl your whole career over 150 k's an hour. It is. It's too hard because no one does it. It's, it's nearly, it's just about physically impossible to be, able to, to be able to do it. And with that comes injuries because you're pushing the body, your body's the limit every, every time, every, mm. every ball that you bowl. So were, what were the lessons learned for you in and around injury prevention or managing injuries? Were, was there a few things that you knew that boxes that you had to tick to be able to try and prep in a preparation sense? But then also during a game to be able to manage your body as well as you can to be able to continuously bowl over 150Ks. To me, that, that 150K mark, I mean, I, I've always wanted to bowl 160Ks. And I told mum and dad when I was nine, I'm going to hit 160Ks. <laughs> and I wanted to beat Tomo's record. And that was the four, you know, like the four minute mile. Yeah. What, why haven't more people done it? Because it's so hard. I tried to do it. But it's. I try to do it. I there, try to be Brett Lee. And there are so many kids that try. But I, I bowl like 148, and then my back fell up. <laughs> mate, you've been very, very um, oh, hard gosh. yourself, mate. I just couldn't bat like you. So I was. No, you're very. I, th- I think you've done it right, mate. Uh, so that that 150k barrier was something that I dreamed of doing, and mm. I and that is what I'm most proud about. Not mm. about 300 and something wickets mm. and tests all in one days. To bowl over 150k's for 20 years, <laughs> and I did it in my last big bash. I know game I think I did and tick that box again that that was something I'm proud about because that means that you've you've been at your peak and you've you've been able to achieve something great for 20 years straight which is I've asked my body to do so much but so with that how did there would have been 
there was always there was going to be setbacks with that pushing yep. your body to those limits. What were the things that you knew you had to do to be able to continue to do it like you did? Uh, so let's just say I've just got I've just got injured for yep. the seventh or eighth time, right? Yep. Um, it'd probably be my ankle. Yep. So let's just say I. So I've, we're talking about. Your left ankle, in, Le- most of the time, is impingement in the back of your ankle because there's so much force going through your front leg yep. as a braking force. So it means that you're loading up the back part of your ankle, right? Yeah. So like a lot yeah. of people that don't understand the force that goes through your body when you bowl, you know, a cricket ball. Now, whether you're landing on uh, concrete or astroturf or, or, or you know a proper turf wicket. Most bowlers around when they test them at the AIS are around mm. two or three times their body weight. Mm-hmm. I was 16 times my body weight. So 16 times 85 to 88 kilos, depending yeah. on what part of the season it was. Yeah. It's a lot of weight going through a braced, and I mean a braced like a dead straight front leg. So it's that ankle that gets smashed first. And because my stride was so long and pointing out, that that pressure was all going through my left ankle. So <laughs> I had six ankle operations, uh, five on my left, one on my right. Yeah. So if I came back from that fifth ankle operation on my left, how do I then get back to playing for Australia and want to bowl 150 k's? Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, I had to get the rehab done, get get all through that, tick every box that I had to do. From I mean, Kim Slater is now on speed dial. I've got him in favourites, <laughs> my surgeon. So I play golf with him and become really good mates out of it. Yeah. But he he showed me a great rehab program and then I'd implement that through Patrick Farhart who's been my physio since I was 16 mm-hmm. all that stuff was done so I made sure I was very stringent and and ticking every box when it comes to rehab yeah post rehab though it was up to me then yeah I used to love soft sand running and I found that soft sand running okay. With shoes on, because yeah. one, I didn't want to step on a needle yeah. at Balmoral Beach. not saying there's <laughs> druggies and stuff down there. But, you know, I found that running barefoot, you get a lot more grip. Yeah. So it's easy to run. When you yeah. run with shoes on, on soft sand, all you, your mm. body naturally has to try to sort of stabilise itself, like yeah. when you're bowling. Yeah. So all my ankles then, I'd get all the ligaments and the yeah, tendons and the muscles foot, yeah. would all be then switching on, and then I'd be training those you know, muscle parts and tendons without even thinking about it. So I'd run 5K on soft sand. Once I hit that 5K mark mm-hmm. on soft sand, I knew I was fit. I knew I was ready to play. And there'd be times where I couldn't even run amazing. a K. Yeah. Now, coming out of a boot, you know, I'd walk on soft sand first and then slowly yeah. build up. Yeah. I'd get that 5K mark, which ended up being about two and a half laps of Balmoral Beach. Tick that, all right, now I'm physically fit enough to go and put my body through the pressure of getting back into bowling. Yeah. Then it became doing all of the, the action, coming off a few paces, making sure that I'm getting that weight bearing back in my ankle. Yeah. After all that rehab stuff is done, like, and I did it so many times, it, it was the mental strength. Yeah. And this is where I think when I first started playing cricket, it was all about natural ability, uh, determination, dedication. You can throw a million words around as a young kid and a little bit of mental strength. When you get to the top, then it became body and workload management with some talent, but the mental strength then switched around from you know, 80-20 when you first start, or even 90-10 yeah. to probably 80-20 when I finished. And what I mean by that, and I'll, I'll explain more about that mental strength, yeah. that mental strength was then about me 
allowing my body to, to go through that, that pain threshold. I bowled, every single ball I bowled, generally there was pain <laughs> from the age of 16. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah. And I, it's crazy. What do I love about pain? You know, what, what do I love about... Because to me, it's pushing my body as far and as hard as I could to see where I... Where I, where I got to. Now, I was lucky I only had a very small, limited amount, two muscle tears in my life, I think, yeah. two or three, whilst I was playing. All my, all my injuries were structural because I would push my body until I literally snapped. Yeah. But then I knew where I could get to. Mm. If I pulled out a bit before and go, oh, I might snap my ankle or something, I didn't really know where I could get to. So which I, is different nowadays. Which is different nowadays. Which because is totally you, cause different. Because you, you never know... People nowadays, because they're wrapped in cotton wool with the amount of workloads and how much they can bowl, they don't know what their upper limit yeah, is. They don't, know what their, they don't know what their breaking point is. Yeah. So how do you know how much you can bowl if you don't know what your breaking point is? That's right. And then you go, okay, next time I might do something slightly different to try and increase the ceiling of what that breaking point is, right? Do you think, 100, do you, you know, do you think Usain Bolt <clears throat> gets on the track and goes, I'll never run 100% in case I tear something? He doesn't just run 90%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that when he's cruising... You'll train ninety percent, and then you'll up it. But you've yep. got to—I know I'm chopping and changing it—but you've, you've got to bowl hundred percent in the nets. You've got to push your body yep. like you do in the nets, like like you would in the game. Yeah. But then when I got back and I did the rehab, uh, did the preparation, then it's like, am I good enough to be at this level again? And I always had the same feeling and same theory. The top of my mark as I'm visualising me running in the bowl with a camera behind me and get that nick. I would tell my brain, and I, I found a way to trick my brain. Mm-hmm. I could trick my brain and tell myself, I'm coming off a five-wicket haul. Jeez, I bowled well last weekend. Pfeiffer, let's go. Was there a moment you can remember when you first started using that mental skill? Probably at the age of about 16 or 17. Really? Yeah, because I, I, I Was broke... that something that someone helped you with, or you just actually you just developed that yourself? Look, I mean, Dennis Silly has got a lot to be thanked for my mental strength and he's been a great mental coach, uh, a great technical coach. Mm. I flew to Perth to go and see him off my own bat and I think he really appreciated that. You know, the easy option is to stay at home and she'll be right type of thing. We've got yeah. great co- we have got great coaches here in Sydney, but I needed Dennis. Dennis Lee is the reason why we had such 20 years of world world's best fast bowlers. Oh, we need him back. He's unsung. He is, <laughs> well, not for the people who he impacted so much, not for all the cricketers, but he's an unsung hero to mm. the majority of people, whether it's Cricket Australia at times, whether it's, you know, the Australian public don't realise the, the impact and the influence that Dennis Lee had on, like, when would you say? Like, Glenn, around the academy times, yep. isn't it? Like, from Glenn McGrath, maybe even before, all the way through to Mitch, John- until- Mitch Johnson, myself, yep. Pat Cummins as well. Yep. Like, it's just, it's endless anyway. But so, so Dennis Lilly was someone who really helped you from a, a mental skills point of view as well. Yeah, and he was always the one that told me that you've, you've got to be the fittest in the team. My, mm. my aim was to be the fittest in the team. I had to be one of the quickest sprinters. I had mm. to be one of the guys that could do a decent bit or try and do like 15 or 16 on the beep test. Mm. I had to do it because, you know, I, I was running on average in a one-day match 17Ks a day yep. and throw my body through hell. Yeah. So I, I had to make sure that physically my body was ready to do it, mentally my body was ready to do it, and I wanted to do it personally as well. Yeah. So when you combine all those different assets and those different aspects of the the game of cricket and the the game of life, really, yeah, that's that's when it becomes exciting. Yeah. 
So when you talk about the visualization component, it's like at the top of your mark, you trick yourself into, and you yeah, you're, you're tricking yourself into going, okay, I'm coming off five wicket haul. So that that uplift in your mindset means that you go you go straight to that space, and that's yep. the power. That is the power of the mind. But a lot of majority of people, it's very easy. The easy default is to go, I'm not good enough, or you bowl a couple of bad overs or a couple of bad balls, and you go. I've lost it, or mate, where is it? There's you know been I mean? so many times I've been in that space, though, yep. because that's, you know, people are there will be thinking, oh, surely you couldn't have been um, so mentally tough the whole, you know, 20-odd year. Of course I wasn't. Yep. You know, everyone's, everyone's human. We make yep. errors. We make um, errors of judgment, and, and there's that self-doubt that everyone has. But it's yep. that how much of that little self-doubt can you get through and turn into a positive? So the great example I have is that when a guy's standing, and I'm not a golfer, but I use a golf-like analogy, a guy's standing on the tee box, he looks up and he sees water on the left. So straight away he's looked at the, the bad option, that negative option. Yeah. Water on the left, don't hit the water. So he's taught his brain. So he's taught his brain, uh, water's been imprinted into his brain. Yeah. And, and the brain sometimes can't differentiate between well, you can't the green and, and the water. Well, it's as simple as you can't not think about what's on your mind. It's like running in a bowl and going, "Don't bowl, don't bowl yeah. these pads, or don't bowl a white, or don't bowl leg side." What are you th- What are you thinking about? What are you trying not to think about as you run in a bowl? Well, how many, how many, don't how bowl it. So, what are you thinking about? You're going to bowl. You've got more chance of bowling. Hundred percent. So, how many how many, to- how many guys would be mm. or girls on the, the tee box, mm. and they'll shank one left, hit the water, but if that was a clear open paddock, yeah. I promise you, they'll hit it straight. Yeah. yeah. Because they've taught their brain, don't don't do this, don't do yeah. that, and then you get so there and, and the swing, <laughs> like with your bowling. Mm. Oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah, I know it's going to hurt. Uh, or how much is this going to hurt? Plantar, or it's hot. I used to sometimes see twenty six in Brisbane, and I just go, no. Yeah, no humidity. But if I see twenty two, my brain goes, I can get through this. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're always yeah. of dealing with the negatives. That, yeah. That's all that, that negative stuff. But the positive stuff. I'd try and think about that more. So I'd, I'd be going, right, okay, so I've come off a five-wicket haul. Even though I was in, you know, back in Sydney training the week yeah. before, Aussie team have been away touring. Now I'm back with the team. I'm uh, getting off a FIFA type of thing. Yep. So it's that consistent, clear messaging to your brain to be positive. Well, that's the thing that people also don't understand is the power, the control that you actually have over your mindset. You can go, you, you've got the choice. Either way, to go the positive side, to go and the powerful side of going, yeah, I'm, I need to trick myself into this script. But you're actually, you are in control of that. That's a conscious mind function, and right? And you can also go the other side. You can also allow your mind mm. to go into, oh, I'm coming off an injury or, you know, I haven't bowled that well recently. But that's a little man on your shoulder. Yeah. That, that conscious mind, that's a function where you can actually, you're in control of that. But most people don't exercise that control and as yeah. you're saying that's the power that that's mental toughness as well is to control that script yep to go no i'm not going there i'm going here because i know i do this i'm going to be in the right mindset to, for me to be my best yeah. and that little man on, on your shoulder could be the size of a flea yes or it can be the size of a monkey on your yeah, back yeah that's it and it's how much you want and you know you actually allow that little man or that little girl whichever way you want to look at it on your shoulder to then grow into the monkey on your back and, you you know, you're, oh, I've always got bad luck, you know. The, you know, those people that always yeah. whinge and oh, I've yeah. got bad luck and that, they don't have bad luck. They've just had some bad times in their life because they probably have been thinking the way they probably should. And welcome to life. 
And, and exactly. You've got there's to have always up, setbacks. And look, there's, there's, there's been there's times where the example I thought about having bad luck, which was out of my control, was training on a wet surface, 2007 in uh, Wellington before the World Cup. I'm fit. I'm ready to play my second campaign in the yeah. World Cup. I'll snap my ankle yeah. in half. I'm out of the World Cup. And I thought, I didn't, I didn't want to train that day, but I thought, look, I'll do it. Mm. I probably should have said, no, I'm, I don't want to train. Mm-hmm. Now, mental strength didn't really come into that because it's one of those freak accidents. But that's life. That happens. And you have to accept that. As hard as it is, I got dealt a horrible card. But yep, chin up, buckaroo. Uh, yes, yeah, such is life. Yep. When you think everything's going well, guess what? <laughs> and, and there's and, something to just pull you. <laughs> but then, yeah. But then but, also too, that <clears throat> that's where you actually throw it back into that mental strength. Mm. You have to accept that sometimes you will get injured. Yeah. No matter how hard you train, yep. no matter how much you condition your body, you will get injured. So young boys and girls out there, if they're fast bowlers, want you know want to be fast bowlers at the next level. Unfortunately. Most of you will get injured. That's the reality of what you do. But it's how less you get injured is yep. probably the key. Yep, absolutely. When you're talking about the visualisation component, because this is really what – what you said there is so powerful. Because I remember watching on the bus, you having like an iPad, right, and the lead, and we're on the way to the game. And some guys would be watching footage of the opposition, what their, what the, what their weaknesses are. They'd be you know, trying to work out what ball options they had. Whereas you were different, you would say, "Can I please have a look at, at the footage of me taking wickets?" Yep. And at the time, I thought, "What a big head! Yeah, what a big head! <laughs> he's got. He's all he's seeing is his poles being ripped out everywhere, like just knocking blokes over left, right, and center." Yeah. But that's the power of visualization to go. This is me at my absolute best. This is me when I'm at when I'm performing my best, and that just brings you immediately into that mindset. Yep. That's that's <laughs> you know I just took five wickets last weekend theory. So I didn't want to see Sachin Tanduka playing a beautiful cover drive mm-hmm. and I'll, you know, look at his feet or look at where his bat's gone. Like, there was times I got wicked, so I couldn't even tell you who was even on strike. Mm. I, didn't give a, I didn't give a rats. Mm. I just worked on what I had to do at my end. If I got what I was doing right, then the rest would take care of itself. And, yes, I did preparation on who I was playing against and, yes, I knew the strengths and weaknesses of different batsmen. But prior to the game was exactly like you said. I'd have a highlight of me running in, bowling that perfect outswinger. I want to see Nick's behind. I want to see yeah. Yorkers. I want to see, you know, batsmen getting bounced. These were all positive things I was placing in my mind. So I'd fill my mind with absolute, absolute great thoughts yeah. before I went out in the field. Now, it always wouldn't, you know, it, it wouldn't always, I should say, come off the way I wanted to. Of course, which is, but more which is often life than as well. Not, yeah. <laughs> more often than not, if I had those good feelings and that good vibe and I walk on the ground and I could think about what I saw on the bus, maybe two or three minutes of bowling good areas mm. and, and taking wickets, that would set the tone for the day. Yeah. It's funny you say that because at the time I remember going, geez, he's a, bit of, he's a big head. Mm. Right? I remember thinking to myself, but now before even though I'm, I'm, and I'm still playing – one of the things that I do before games is watch footage, and there's a few, and it's on YouTube. And I can just go on YouTube it. of a couple of my best innings. So one, it's like, okay, this is me at my best, so I can visualise that. But then, from a technical point of view, I can go, oh, I'm slightly out like that. Like mm. I'm not there at the moment. Yep. This, whether it's my, I'm slightly open or my bat swing, I'm just moving a little bit too late. Yep. So it's a it's a mental positive reinforcement 
of, okay, yeah, this is me, my best with these shots I play. Yep, this is me. So I build you up to yep. go, yep, so this is my best mental mental space. But then it's from a technical point of view, there can be a couple of – there might be one little thing. There might not be, but it's just a – it's a way for, for reinforcement. Mm. So I wish I knew exactly what you're doing <laughs> there because you know, that that's so powerful that people don't – most people don't do what they do, go and see footage. What do they see footage of when – like after they get out? Yeah. That ball that got him out, and that's Negative. all they keep going and going and going. Oh, geez, well, I'm, next time I go out to bat, oh, I'm only going to be looking for that ball because that got me out last. Instead of going, yeah, I'm going to work on that, of course. But you know what? This is me at my best. This is my mindset. I can see it in my body language and mm. see it in the in the yeah, in in the execution of my skills. If you speak to any sports person, men or women, you often hear that same expression. I was in the zone today. Mm. Now, what's the zone? What what? How do we? Describe what the zone is, or how do you get into the zone? How do you pull yourself into the zone? Not just hope that the planets align and there's. So the zone to me <laughs> was the seas part when you're playing with absolute freedom. Mm-hmm. That freedom's come about because you visualised uh, you being in a good space. Your body feels good because you've told your, your mind that I'm in a, once again, you know, a good space and I'm fit. Uh, you're playing the shots you want to play, whether it's tennis or cricket or soccer or, or whatever it might be. Because you're actually confident. And when you're confident, I don't know too many sports people that have actually failed when they've been confident. Well, failed, you can't control the results because you could bowl mm. the best you possibly have yep. and slips, the slips and the keeper drops every single catch. But you know that from an execution point of view, you bought your best. And, you, you know, you create you opportunities. Best. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's in the end, that's all, you can, that's all you can do is bring your best performance. And what you said there is a vis- visualisation of mm. what your best performance looks like to get into the zone. Yeah, and all I was trying to do from watching yeah. that footage was to get me in the zone quicker than what it would have taken normally. Yeah. We'll move away from the, the technical components of cricket and move on to just uh, media, media lessons learned. So you were and still are the darling of, of media and, and the public, whether it's in Australia, overseas, in, in, and India especially as well. Um, you know, you... You were and were the Weetbix kid. Everyone wanted to be the Weetbix kid. <laughs> um, but from what you know now and the and the ups and downs through the media at times, what are the? How would you approach the media? Would you approach the media in a different way than what you did when you played? Gee, that, that's a great question because when I was sixteen or seventeen, if you had said to me to do a Q and A on stage. <laughs> or in front of local windfall down at, you know, Shell Harbour, (laughs) or to run, you know, a a half marathon, I would have taken the half marathon because I hated public speaking, hated Mm. it. Mm. I had no lessons at school. We weren't taught. Oak Flats High School, God love them, but I was in a demountable, not not in a classroom, and we didn't do public speaking. Mm -hmm. One thing that I'm... I've seen now with my son Preston. He, you put him in front of an audience, and you get up and he'll speak anywhere. Mm. Different training, and that's that's so important, I think, in getting your clear message across to the public and to the people. Yeah. So, what I learned, you know, I wish I had better training when I was a young kid. Okay. And that starts at school, school level, at kindergarten, preschool, getting up in front of class. I never got up in the front of the classroom once at school. Mm. So then, you, then you're thrown to the deep end. So, you know, you start making a few teams and you are thrown to the deep end. I had a really bad experience when I made the Shield team. I got asked to go to a function at Wollongong 
and I would always say, what's, what's my role? What, what do I have to do? Thinking that if they say, oh, you have to make a speech, then I'd be like sweating bullets <laughs> for months. Nothing, just turn up. They'll call your name up on stage and, you know, you, you accept the award and move on. Great. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, I can make it. I'll be there. Get there. And we've got Brett Lee, who's an up-and-coming cricketer, and he's our guest speaker for the night. Mr. Lee. And I was like, this is the worst Yuck. nightmare. <laughs> you know those things where you wake up during the night and you sweat? I mean, I still... It's like the, bat- the batsman's nightmare of not being able to have get or just, you know, ready and being late. Or, you know, you sort of dream about you sort of wake up at school, you know, you wake up and you're at school nude or something. It's, yep. it's the, that's the worst dream. To me, that was the worst nightmare. So I got up. And I had no preparation. I've never done it before. Got thrown in the deep end, uh, and I was just—I was so rattled by it. And it—it t- it took me years to get over that first like initial point. But then when we sort of got that shield level and we got a little bit of media training, but also being in the deep end, so you learn how to deal with it too. That—that that also helps. Yeah. But I could have made a lot that transition from a young kid into the media world could have been a lot easier if I got through that first hurdle. With yep. some training. Yep. Yep. Uh, I then go to Perth in my first test match and I thought, well, I'll, I'll tell it as it is. <laughs> and yep. I was made 12th man against Pakistan, didn't actually play. I played two games later against India at Boxing Day. So it was November 99. Uh, Brett, if you're chosen at the Wacker Wicket against Pakistan, what 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 will you do? What will you try and achieve? And I said, I want to see blood in the wicket. <laughs> and you see all the journalists all look at each other. Oh, this is great. It's good We've honesty. Got a great yeah. scoop. <laughs> all they wanted was a scoop, yeah. right? Oh, I just want to sell papers. I want to get headlines. Steve Waugh came up to me. It was on the side of it. And he said, mate, that's what we might want to see on the field. We don't want to see anyone get hurt. Mm. But probably don't say it. And then, so then I thought, oh. So that was firstly my first sort of cross through the, you know, that sort of media appearance. Then I quickly learnt that, you know, there were times playing in the Shield shield matches and all that and the press would want something and I'd I'd always push the press away at the start. Mm -hmm. Nah, nah, nah. I don't don't want nothing with the press. But then you realise, hang on, if if we work as a team and we are honest – with the medias of the press, we can use each other to get firstly my messaging out, yeah, uh, and and do it in a constructive way. Sometimes, yeah. Now I always fronted the media. The one thing I learned was always and actually worked out always front the media when you've had a shocking game, because it's so easy to say, um, say "Yeah, I was great getting fired." Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can press play now and go, "Yeah, look, it was." I was really happy with the way I bowled today. <laughs> the rhythm was great. I was in the zone. Cliche, cliche. Blah yeah. blah blah. Crap, crap, crap. What people appreciate is that when you've had a shocking game and then mental training once again and that yeah. mental strength, yeah, look, I got none for 83 today off my 10 overs. It's probably one of the worst games I've ever played. But I know that I'm not too far away from my best. Um, there was a few technical things I was working on. Didn't really um, you know, bowl away I wanted to, but I think if I get that opportunity next week, I reckon I'll do a lot better. So straight away, you're telling your brain, first and foremost, that you can get better, you can improve. You'd never be as bad as you were today. Alan Jones, that's the thing he always taught me, and he's been one of my great mentors and a very close friend of both of ours. You'd never be as bad as you were today. Mm. Then you tell that to the press, 
and straight away then they go, okay, well, at least he's actually fronted the media. And then you build that great rapport with the media. Yep. And then it becomes a great relationship, which I still got a great, you know, um, rapport with them now and actually work for the media. So it's it's flipped around. If I had my time again, I would have definitely built better, built relationships and better relationships Mm. from the outset. From when I first started playing in and around, especially international cricket for Australia, when the scrutiny cranks up, I would have... I should have definitely built better relationships. So as you said, yeah, the good times, it's easy to talk to anyone. But mm. so you can like, they can get to know you more personally. So then, because they have the control over what they write. A, a, a choice of a word can be the difference between having a real personal dig or softening it so people understand it, understand and provide a bit more understanding to, oh, it just wasn't his best day. And that's the control that, you know, because a a lot of them are beautiful 100%. writers, for example, and they know, yeah, the words, the wordsmithing around that. So, that's for me. I would, if I had my time again, and it wasn't until right towards the end of my career where I started to build personal relationships, start to get to know, I got to know them a lot more. So you could work through the ups and downs more smooth, well, just better mm. because you build. That's what well, that's what life's about is personal relationships, isn't it? The connections that you hundred percent, and it, it's it's well it's well said what you just explained there, but also too the thing that you learn. And you should learn very quickly. And the guys that and girls that don't learn are the ones that struggle. But what's written in the press today? So what's on the the Daily Telegraph or the Sydney Morning Herald might be saying Watson's had a shocker or Lee's had a shocker. Right? We are our worst judge. Mm. We, I'll, I'll read that sometimes and go, Oh no, they, they've said this, they've said that. <laughs> right? People skip through it and they go, Okay, fair enough. And then yeah. they'll wrap up their prawns with it the next day. Yeah or a takeaway piece of fish, right, it's gone. But in our, in our minds, it might stay there for two or three weeks. Yeah. Like, you, gotta, you have to move on. So with that, did the scrutiny of playing international cricket, did that affect your performances at any stage throughout your career? Sometimes, yep. I've got a clipping at home, which I've always kept. It was before a game against India, a one-day international in India, and the headline on the back page was uh, Lee's last opportunity. <laughs> it's his last go. He's and I had a shocking couple of games back to back. And fair enough. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be dropped. I was hopeless as my last chance. Hit six over cover to win the game against India, and then run through for a single. You know, and then thirteen off the last over or something. Mm-hmm. Lee and the next next day, very next day, Lee the hero, the golden child. And I'm looking at these two papers going, what? Yeah. Same person wrote it, same guy, I won't say who, <laughs> just to try to sell a paper. Yeah. And I thought, how fickle mm-hmm. is sports sometimes? So if I had got myself into that dark place, mentally disturbed about reading what it was and thought too much about it, yeah. or if I read this one the next day and I'm back and I'm the best in the world mm-hmm. in their eyes, yeah. I mean, that can knock you around. That's That's... Talk about being one end of the scale to the other. So was there a way that you were able to, that you yeah. dealt with that? The emotional wave, I call it. Yeah. And what the emotional wave is, the emotional wave is how you're feeling and how you deal with what you read in the paper, what people say to you at the pub, what people say to you on a plane. So you'd always read the media? Yep, always. Always, okay. I thought it was important. Okay. Pe- people say, oh, just don't, don't read the press. Which is what I did. Because I, because I couldn't, I couldn't. But I pick up paper. I, I see, I see your face. I yeah, but I mean, I. <laughs> you know, you sort of walk through the airport and you pick up the back page, and you're you're on there, and 
it might have Watson Duck or it might have Lead None for 80. Mm. You're going to see it. Mm. Whether oh, you yeah. read the whole article. Oh, yeah, exactly. But that's – yeah. It's there. There's part of your brain that wants to read it. It's there. Right? <laughs> so I'd always read it okay. and I'd have the emotional wave. So when I've won a World Cup in 2003, I didn't get my emotion. Yeah, I know I was pumped and I enjoyed it. We had a great time and I celebrated hard. I did all the things that you do as expected when you won a World Cup. But I never let the emotion get out of control and spike up okay. like, like on the stock market. Yeah. So spike up to the stars. Yeah. Then when I've been dropped for the fifth or sixth time, I never let that that curve, that bell curve, come right down the bottom and be on the floor. In other words, from the top part of the roof to the bottom part of the floor, yep. the emotional wave, I would compress that wave to make it really small. So if you look at an eight-foot ceiling in a room, when you're at your height at the ceiling, when you're lowest at the floor, compress that down to about a foot. And all of a sudden that emotional wave becomes a lot easier to manage. So when you're at your high, it's a checklist. Yeah, I've done really well today. I'm proud. Um, enjoy yourself. Celebrate. Think about what's happening in the next game, though. Mm. When you get down, okay, look, yeah, I, I've been dropped. It's not great, and I'm disappointed, and you might go home and have a bit of a moment, but you get back on the horse, yeah. and you push yourself back up. And, you, you know, you're never too high and never too low. Yeah. So that depression or that that doesn't kick in and that yep. emotional wave is very tight. I, I definitely rode the, the highs and lows quite a bit, oh, and quite a bit more. I did, quite a bit I more did too, that, but it, it yeah. was, it's, it's how you to manage under, that. Yeah, to be able to understand that that's actually what your, your vision is to be able to get to of trying to compress that wave. Yeah, it's a you know, very, like, very, good, very good metaphor. Don't want to be at the back, back of a, um, you know, a, down at the Bondi Beach with eight-foot eight, eight foot waves. Mm. You want a nice little, yep. nice little two-foot yep. wave to yep. sail in on. To navigate your way through. This is going to be a bit more personal now. And look, this is not, we'll talk about the financial side of things mm. and your lessons learned around that, but this is not how much money you've earned or anything mm. like that at all. It's more so around your understanding and whether you're, you've invested from, you know, you said from a young age, you're earning, you're earning good money um, by playing cricket. Did you, um, have you, what lessons have you learned from actually, from investment side of things? and a wealth generation point of view throughout, throughout your life, not just you know, throughout your career career? I have a saying now which I stick by it, and it's stick to what you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me to go out to try to sort of invest in something that I don't know anything about, that I've got no past experience about, that I haven't read up about, uh, that I haven't got a huge interest in, you're pretty much destined to fail. Even if it's around, like, did did you growing up get uh, education around financial, um, like literacy, like understanding how to generate and growth of, of your wealth? No, no. I mean, my brother is a uh, accountant. Yeah, a forensic accountant. <laughs> yeah. for that matter. Yeah. So they obviously taught it at school. Him being ducks at the school. Well, I, got, well, I didn't get taught. I didn't. I get didn't, taught, like, I didn't wealth focus understanding. on that. Yeah. And I did okay yeah. at school. No, mm. I did my HSC and pass and everything, but I was never. You know, I, I, I didn't want to be that accountant. Yeah. But also, too, it's, and that, that, that's the whole thing that comes in a trust, too. So I'd have a good accountant because I wasn't, you know, I can't be the best accountant. I can't be try to bowl 150Ks and know exactly what, what every single cent was doing in the right funds, yeah. whether you're doing a self-managed fund, whatever it is, yeah. right? So I, I wasn't, an, and, I, and I'm still not 
an, an expert at every field. So I try to hang around people a lot smarter than me yeah. and a lot better in those fields to teach me so I can upskill myself. So what are the things now that you have learned over your time of being around these you know, people that you're saying are smarter than you in, the, in this space in particular? Mm. Is there things now that if you had your time again, you would have invested in when you were younger? whether it leaves it like rental markets or commercial or maybe managed funds or something like that, that you could have got on, made the most of like the compound interest sort of effect and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, look, one thing I am proud about is that I, I haven't thrown, a, you know, thrown money away either. Like I've been pretty um, pretty good with my... I mean, the only things I ever spent money on when I was growing up was, uh, and to be honest, was probably, you know, a night out, alcohol, yeah, yeah. fishing rods... Uh, my first house, which I bought, yep. um, clothes, that was pretty much it. Yep. And, and, you know, I didn't go and excuse the term, I didn't go and piss up a wall every single night of the week, yep. throw it away, I wasn't a gambler. Yep. Uh, you know, musical instruments is one thing that I love doing, but that's what made me happy and yep. got me into that good place to get me in the zone again. Yep. Um, you know, when you think about shopping and what it, how it makes you feel, mm. that was one thing, but... I I bought a couple of investment properties when I was younger. Um, didn't know much about it. Got mm-hmm. advice off someone, so I trusted that advice. Now what I know, I would have I would have bought a lot smarter. I would have bought in better areas with okay. better growth potential. Um, you know, and look at the sort of the opportunity I get through the rentals as well. Yep. You know, know know a lot more. But that that also comes from experience too. I yep. think, mate. Of course, it you does. Know? And, and yep. I'm actually glad that I probably didn't know as much as I know. You know, and I think I know a lot now at 43. Mm. When I'm 60, I'll know. I'll look back when I'm 43 go, I didn't yeah. know anything. Yeah. Do you think you do at the time? I didn't though? know anything when I was 20. <laughs> yeah. I knew how to bowl an out swinger. Yeah. Yeah. But, and in terms of financials, this is stage two of my life. And, and I, I've told myself I want to make more money in stage two of my life than I have in stage one. Yeah. So cricket has given me a great opportunity to have a stable income for 20 years and, and what cricket does, as we know, it opens up a lot of doors and opportunities, yep. but it's how far you want to push those opportunities yep. and how much you want to actually learn about life as well. Because yep. sta- stage two of your life, when you're in the – it's like being on a, on a merry-go-round when you're playing for Australia. You hold on as long as you can, then you get spat <laughs> off and you're thrown in the, in the, in, you know, the real world. Yeah. But hang on as long as you can. Yeah. And I've always said that to you as well. I said, mate, hang on and play cricket for as long as you can, not to the extent where you're going to hold um, or cost someone their spot because you're 42 and you're trying to keep playing. Yeah. But if you're good enough to do it, which, which you are, uh, play as long as you can because to earn X amount in, in you know, the real world is a lot harder when you're post, post cricket. Yeah. Unless you've got good things that you learned through your cricketing career yeah. – well, then, you know, as it, talking about buying opportunities, commercial real estate, yeah. you know, resi, um, getting the, the sort of, you know, all that income coming through, yeah. you know, and I've always been told to have five streams of income. Yeah. If you've got five different streams of income coming in, yeah. then you're pretty much going to be okay, as long as you know what it is. Yeah, because if I, look, what I've learned, if I have my time again, just even in around the share market, I had no no idea mm. and I was just getting advice from the experts. But if I had my time again, like in and around the GFC when that hit in 2000, um, 2008, uh, yeah. I had 
I had share. I had shares. Um, I had shares, and then obviously when the GFC hit, they went down, and I ended up because I had a loan on those shares as well. I'd got a margin call to be able to top it up um, for the for the bank's um, peace of mind. But then because I had no idea about it, I thought, you know what? I don't know anything about. It. I'm just gonna as soon as my money gets up to where it was, I'm gonna pull it out, mm. which is what I did. Now after the understanding of what I've read over the last five years of investing books and that's that. I've actually missed out on like twenty percent growth over yeah. the last like ten, ten or well, so years. It's a bit years. like the emotional wave. It's, oh. you, you know, you're rock bottom and it's gone, gone back up. Past. And I've missed out on the compound yeah. interest component as well, which over time that just like that's what you know Warren Buffett talks about. Yep. just the the power of compound interest. So anyway, that's one of the lessons that I learned is if I start if I was like twenty and I started to put my money in like even as a basic sort of um, index fund or something that's spread over, there's not much risk to it, mm. and just going with the growth of the share market, far out, that would have been one of the five income streams instead of now, you know, it's trying to speed that up. <laughs> From a business point of view, I know you're very you've always been had your eye open to to try and look mm. for business opportunities and investing in business businesses. Um from experience that you've had and lessons that you learned, are there, is there certain criteria that you really go through now to be able to work out whether it's this is a business opportunity that I really want to like put my money into um, because of your previous experiences of maybe not getting the best result? Yeah, and look, look, there's been a couple of times where I put money in, I've lost money uh, through bad investments and um, something that was out of my control but also was in my control because I didn't do the research enough. I didn't have that mindset to delve deep enough because I was so busy. And I, I'm such – it's the same as you. We're such busy people. And I, if I'm – you know, I hardly get bored because I actually love being busy. Yeah. If I've got a day off, I want to do something. Yeah. I kind of sit on – I mean, I've never sat down and watched a test match on my couch yeah. ever. I know you probably have because you love. Yeah, <laughs> especially with Will now, my son, he loves it. So we. But more. that doesn't mean I don't love watching cricket because yeah. I watch so many test matches when I'm working on it, and I love yeah. it. I love. I actually wish I watched more cricket because the even the stuff I've learnt post cricket mm. would have helped me whilst I was playing. Yeah. Investing into things where you think it's going to be okay, and you think because you got that name through cricket, it's everything's going to be fine, but it doesn't work like in you know in the real world too. Yeah. So. Now there's, there's, there's been a lot more things I've been doing um, which have been like a, more of a, a guaranteed banker. So if I you know, align myself with a sponsor, you know, I know that I can, you know, rather than me personally investing into an opportunity or a company, I'm happy to lose time. Yep. I also, but I don't want to lose money or investment. Yep. And, there's, there's two, and people probably listening going, well, there's two ways to look at it, which there is. And you can make a lot of wealth out of investing into the right companies. Yeah. Um, I'd feel a lot more comfortable losing time than what I would money. Yeah. And what I mean by that, if I invest into to be a brand ambassador of a company, and it falls over, and I've given X amount of days to help them sell their dream or their product, and they haven't paid me, uh, then I've lost lost that time. Yeah. And that is that has happened too. But now I make sure I cover that, that time by getting like an, an upfront fee. Okay. So I get at least a minimum 50, 50%, especially when I'm working overseas, yep. upfront fee that if it does fall over, I know I'm least covered for the time I've, I've worked. So yep. they're like little things that I've learned yep. as well. Like what you said at the start as well around 
investing into things that, and because you don't have the time, then things can go wrong. They can definitely go wrong. And that's the hardest thing that is, and that's been my experience as well, mm-hmm. the hardest thing about investing into, into businesses, whether it's setting up yourself or whether it's investing in other businesses, is, well, you have to you have total trust in the people who are running it. Trust is a, a great thing you mentioned that. Tr- you know, trust, I, yeah. I had a, um, a coffee shop mm. and because I wasn't there full time, then, you know, a few things got missed and unfortunately mm. we had a roaring trade but, you know, unfortunately because I wasn't there and I wasn't seeing how much coffee or milk was spilt or lost, uh, I wasn't seeing who was working every single shift. Mm. You've The smart businessmen are all over that. Absolutely. They are absolutely. Yep. It's like they've got a camera yep. above the till yep. the whole time, camera on every single seat. They know exactly who's coming in, who's gone out. That's if you can commit 100% of your time to that. Mm. But I, I couldn't. I was touring. Yeah, I, was, exactly. I, was, I was away trying to bowl outswingers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as much as I've learned what not to do, I also look back and think, well, it's been a good learning curve to understand mm. I've been through that, but I, I probably couldn't have done anything differently. Yeah. Probably not invested into it, maybe. Yep. But Just I'm glad not, I did yeah. because I actually learned about yep. how businesses run. Exactly right, and that's a that's the always the the two sides to something. If mm. I haven't experienced it, I didn't go into it. I wouldn't yep. realize that next time, if an opportunity like that comes up, I would know. If I was investing in a coffee shop again, I would be all over it mm. to make sure I know exactly what's going on with it. But again, that's where it comes down. Also, you do I want to have that? Do I want to give up my time because yep. it takes a lot of time? As a business successful business people are all over the especially the specific details. Well, you know, you for less chance of it actually going wrong, yeah, I mean, give it the best chance of actually being successful. If you think about the people that own, say, you know, a coffee shop, they, you know, they might work 16 hours a day. Mm. They are there from when the thing opens until it closes mm. so they know exactly where everything is going, mm. where every single cent's coming in, how much, how much coffee, you know, you know, making sure that the sort of coffee beans are all stocked up, they haven't missed a beat, they haven't missed someone, make sure the marketing's right. It's exciting. Yeah. And I'm glad, you know, it's fine to fail, I've got no issue failing if you learn from well, you have to learn from the it. reason that's, why you failed. Otherwise, if yep. you keep failing, you're pretty pretty stupid, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. At yeah, the well, same that's, thing. That's one of the, def, one of the definitions of stupidity is making the same mistake over and over and again yep. instead of actually learning from it. And that's the beauty of – I think that's the beauty of life mm. is you have to experience, especially the downside, to realise what didn't work and go, I need to learn from this, like the silver lining to every – not good experience in your life. It's like, what have I actually, what's a p- real positive that's come out of this? Like this injury, what's come out of this? What, what, I have to make it there happen for a reason. Yeah. So was it, I got a stress fracture in my back, you know what, I can actually work on my batting. Meant I haven't been able to bowl, but you know what, I can work in batting. I know you did that for a period of time yep. with um, your Steve, Steve Rickson. Rickson. Yep. You know, you, you always got to learn and see a positive out of every You do, because you can sit there and cry, away. but you know, the, the thing you've lost or the mistake you've made, but you have to get off your backside and actually go, well, what's work? I can fix it or what can I do differently so it doesn't happen again? Exactly. Perfect. And it's a perfect segue into general life le- life lessons learned. Um, there is so many ups and downs in life. That's hmm. I always thought growing up, you read the fairy tales that you just start off as a kid and then it just goes up and you just continue on this beautiful trajectory. <laughs> no to, one's ever done that. Right, but you, you read in fairy tales. Yeah. So you're growing up, you think, oh, that's how life is. Yeah. 
until you actually get into life. That happens on the wiggles. Yeah. It must be true. <laughs> <laughs> you get into life and there are so many ups and downs. And throughout your life, was there like a specific saying that you had in your mind or a mantra that you used to be able to get through the setbacks that, and the, and the downtimes that are always going to be thrown your way? There's a really, really good time when you, know, you look back and you, and you put things into perspective and I just bowled at the SCG against India and India was seven for 700. I remember, I remember watching that test match. It's a good, I was it was a seven for it. 700. <laughs> it very good. And I had four for 201. If you think about, you know, four for 201 and overall they were seven for 700. Mm. This guy come up and he sledged me. He says, mate, you're rubbish. Four for 201. And I said, yeah, you're rubbish. And my brother being the accountant said, yeah, but the rest of the time I got three for 500. I think he's done okay. I looked at that and I thought, actually, I have done okay. Yeah. Even though it was rubbish. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't as rubbish as what I probably could have thought it was. Yeah. But my, my mantra was always, and this, this happened from my dad, I think, Bob, mm-hmm. you know, Bobby boys, we both got... Um, Dad's called Bob's, the Bobby boys. And (laughs) mum and dad, Helen and Bob, have been outstanding. They have been my absolute rock Mm. into achieving what I've achieved because of their positive influence. My mum and dad are so positive. Um, Dad was just that mental strength. He he was just like, you know, a hard taskmaster, Mm. but always fair. And... The lessons he taught me as a kid, like there'd be times that he'd come down and throw cricket balls to me and Shane and Grant every afternoon, just peg balls at us. And he'd worked out that he'd throw half the length of the cricket pitch because he couldn't throw that hard. Mm. So he had to speed the time up, like little things like that. And then don't, don't go the shortcut, do the hard work. So me and him would run 8Ks after school together sometimes. And, you know, he, he just taught me the great life lessons about if you want to get the result that you want, you've got to put the hard work in. And we hear it all the time, yeah. but what, what is the hard work? Well, but, and you can see it with your dad. That's an amazing example. Yeah, and, and, but it's, it's about being fair, about being honest, and also about your own judgment of you as a person too. Because mm. we can also be that confident. And there are people there that don't have that little man on their shoulder. They probably do, and they're probably because they are insecure in some sort of way. Mm but they'll put this bravado on that everything's fine and they'll go out and they'll actually think they're better than what they are and they'll fall harder because mm. they haven't learned that life lesson yet. Yeah. So you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to understand when you have had a bad day, you, you, you understand you've had a bad day, you just get over it and you make sure it doesn't happen the next time. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, look, there, there was no real mantras I had other yeah. than just going back to the basics and that's, that's you know where it all started today was – talking about with bowling actions, cricket's a very simple game. We overcomplicate it mm. so much. There's, you know, I think now about the teams around the world, there are 11 players and 20 support staff. Too much. Times have changed significantly, haven't they? But it's good. Well, it, it, it's it, good that there are things where... that support... Yeah, and you know, there's times where you need a doctor on tour. There's times where you might need to go and speak to, uh, you know, a mental coach or a health coach or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whichever it might be. There's times where you have to see a physio. Like, if you have a problem with your ankle, you go and see a physiotherapist. 
what happens if you've gone through a divorce? What happens if you go through that tough time? You, mm. you know, there's people that are buggered that, that, that they don't know what to do. Yeah. And there would have been a lot, heaps of times where I would have liked to sort of go back and change things and actually went and saw someone just to get some clarity around what I was mm. feeling and what I was thinking. Yeah. Because I know, you know, I knew what to do with a busted ankle. Mm. See Kim Slater, see mm. Patrick Farha, yeah. get it fixed. But what about when you're getting stressed through the press or what about when you've been through a broken relationship or what about when something's happened to a family member? You know, th- these things, you just can't ring up someone and say, hey, but there are people out there that are experts in that field. Yeah. As you've got to train your body, you've got to train your mind too. And that's yeah. so much more important. Yeah, I totally agree. We, we, normally, we normally just train our techni- technical side of things mm. But as important as the technical side of things, I think more so. I agree. It's a, it's a mental, it's a mental training as well. All right, I'm going to get a little bit retrospective here. If you could go back to your 16 year old self and give that person one piece of advice after everything you've you know through your life now that you're 43, what would that one piece of advice be? I wouldn't change one thing. There are a few things I change in my personal life, like mm-hmm. through things I've been through. But even that, I mean, I've, I've been through those things to realise now how bloody lucky I am. I've got the most amazing wife. I've got three beautiful kids. I wouldn't have had those opportunities if other things didn't happen. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to perform on the field if I hadn't have done those things and been through those mistakes I've made. I, I'm so lucky that... At the age of 16, I was so resilient, um, confident, but not cocky. And to, to train my brain to think at that young age that I'm coming off a of Pfeiffer. Mm. Like, oh, I couldn't tell myself to do anything different, different. now. No, apart, I apart from the... So what you said there, for me, I would think that it would be understand that everything in your life happens for a reason. Yeah. So just learn learn from every yeah, opportunity you possibly can, good and bad. It's probably the, happens for a it's, reason. It's probably the clarity that, but it's it's also to you know when you're 16 years of age, you know you can't have those life experiences that you have at your 43. Yeah, that's one thing I'd love to have. I mean, if I had that knowledge, yeah. <laughs> now at 16, it'd be like it'd be scary. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, but also too, it could go the other way. Because so, that's the excitement of life as well as what's what's out there. I, I look back now and think, how did I run in and bowl in a test? I, I can't think how I did it. How did I run in and bowl day in, day out? So that's the mindset now because yeah. I'm 43 and the body hurts. Yeah. I mean, my body still feels fine. But I was ruthless back then at 16 up to the age of 38. Yeah. So if I went back now at 16, uh, sorry, at 43, went back to 16, I'm probably more hesitant. Yeah. So it'd probably be actually yeah. worse. Yeah, because you know you know what's what's coming in terms of the pain that I'm about mm. to endure, the, yeah. the the experience I'm about to go through. So that that'd be worse. Mm. But the life lessons that I would have learnt and knew when I was 16 would be much more better to learn when I was 16 to what I know now. Yeah, and take that experience from now back to 16. Yeah, that of course that'd help. Yeah, but. I don't know. My my life, the way I've planned it's turned out pretty much exactly how I planned it when I was nine. Mm. Because every single day, 
from the age of nine when I committed myself to wearing the baggy green cap and bowling 160 Ks, every single day was like a job interview, you know, to get in that Australia cricket team. Mm. So down the nets with Dad. My Uncle Les would come down, my two brothers. That were, they were, I was chipping away these little pieces of stone every single day to get that big block in place, yeah. to get that jigsaw puzzle all fitted in that blocks. It's like Tetris. You know, you've got to get that good action, that part of the Tetris puzzle. That, mm. that, 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 that'll, that'll go there. Uh, that mental strength part, a big part, will go right there in the middle. Um, that getting away from sport too. You love music, and we've mm. played so many times on the, the bus and done jams and <laughs> performed together. That was a huge part of my life, yeah. the music, to get away from bloody yeah. cricket. Yeah. Mental strength, once again, to, to, to... Know how to switch off. Switch off. Mm. One thing I could do was switch off, and yeah. sometimes on the field too much. <laughs> that third man flying leg, I'd be thinking about <laughs> writing a song. Or, oh, geez, I'm going to catch his ball. I'm actually playing cricket, switch on. Yeah. But so... All the little parts of the jigsaw puzzle, mm. all the Tetris piece, has to all fit in together to be that complete yeah. game of cricket. Well, you said there about the nine, the nine-year-old self. That you mm. said you, just, you had that dream, playing, getting the baggy green, and bowling 160 k's an hour. Most people do. Everyone dreams. Yep. But it's a combination of the dream, and then the desire. And as you said there, then which the desire is to be able to chip away every single day at that rock. To get to get to where your dream is, you know what? When I go and speak to, to young kids at schools, and I went back to my high school a few years ago, and you know I, I do um, speaking gigs now, which I'm comfortable and happy to do, and I love doing Q and As and getting up in front of audiences and stuff like this, like this. <laughs> Normally, I would have run a mile, you know, when I was 16 <laughs> or back a little bit earlier. But I tell that story and. I think about the kids in the crowd and I'm also a realist too. Mm. You know, I I wanted to play. I actually knew I was going to play for Australia when I was nine. Mm. But then I look around, I see all these kids with their bright eyes looking up and thinking and they've got their Aussie caps and they've got their bats they want to get signed after the talk. And they all think they're going to play for Australia too or they want to play want, for Australia, yeah. right? Yeah. But how do you tell a young kid, boy or girl who's nine, that you've actually got more chance of putting a lottery ticket in tonight and winning mm. the Powerball than what you have playing for your country. Mm. There's, only, there's only 11 spots and there's 25 million people. Then you break it down to how many people like cricket in Australia. Then you break it down to how many males you know, want to play on the Australian cricket team. It's still a massive, massive achievement. Mm. And I tell this story and you seem a little bit deflated, but then I finish with a positive but, but saying... But if everyone thought about that, no one would play for Australia. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to do it. Yeah. Someone's going to someone's going to be that next um, Brett Lee or Shane Watson or Stephen Smith or Don Bradman. We've just come from, you know, places where no one thought we'd play for Australia, and we've both achieved it. And we, yep. geez, if. If you and I can do it, they can do it. Absolutely. Right. So why not, why not be you that puts your hand up in the audience mm. and commits to that life of um, learning about the sport, learning about the game, learning about you as a person, learning about your body, committing fully to your dream and never let anyone get in the way. I was yeah. told when I was 16 by a doctor that because I broke my back, you can't play cricket ever again. 
you know, I got told sixteen's exactly so the same right. thing. Don't you can't bowl again. Obviously bowling's you can't do yeah. it from sixteen. Well, I told my doctor Thanks that I'll get him a ticket to my first test, which I did. <laughs> I bought off spin for a year. I thought, nah, that's <laughs> I, not happening. I try to wear my batting belts rubbish. <laughs> but like, it's you've got to have that dream and you've got to commit to that dream. Now, the other thing too is that kids, it's fine for a kid to say, my dream is to play fifth grade cricket. Yeah. My dream is to be the yeah. best person working at Bunnings. My dream yeah. is to be working at McDonald's. My dream is to be the next Prime Minister of Australia. Mm. Dream doesn't mean you've got to play for Australian mm. cricket. Your dream is your dream. And then being the best at, at what, what you, you want can, to do. Exactly, yeah. So that's how I measure success yep. is agree. not playing for Australia wearing the baggy yep. green. Yep. Or building a billion-dollar company or anything like that. It's yep. what's it's the best version. What's the best, best that you version can, of you. Yeah, best version of you and what's the best you can possibly be. Very wise, very wise words, bingo. <laughs> All right. Um, Can we have this conversation again when I'm 60? <laughs> yeah. Okay, final question. All right, I love reading books, watching documentaries and learning. So have you got a favourite book or documentary that you've watched or, or read recently that really stands out that you go, geez, I love that, I learned a lot out of it? I need to read more books and I'm such – that's why I threw in the doc- so that's busy. why I threw in the documentary part yeah. because I know you watch you know you watch some documentaries. Well, I've written about five or six books, I haven't read them all. <laughs> nah, look, I uh, I love watching documentaries. I love conspiracy conspiracy theories. Uh, I love nature documentaries, um, but I, you know, I also too like watching what other athletes have done and yeah. how they've achieved things. Yeah, because is there one documentary like that that will Thing oh, that like, really stands out to you. You know, I think about watch. what Michael Jordan did, yeah. and it, it's that same thing about stick to what you know. I mean, what he achieved in basketball, and then he went over to baseball and he tried his hand at that, and he just realised that yeah, he's a good baseball player, mm. but what he lit up on the court. Mm. Stick to what you know, yeah. and be be. It's it's very hard to be good at ten, fifteen different things. Mm. It's possible to be that perfect all rounder. But if you swim between the flags, you keep things simple in life, be true to yourself. Uh, the one thing I wish I could change about me is the way that I manage my time. Okay. That's, that's one thing I wish I – and I'm working on it right now. I'm, I'm actually working on being a much more efficient at doing things with my time and actually having a break. Because if I have a day off, I'll book things in. <laughs> like yeah. I reckon I'm actually hyperactive. Yeah. Well, but you know what works for you. You know that actually, like, there's some people who, who've like finished playing, for example, mm. and because they're used to being on the go all the time, being active mentally, physically. Yeah. Then when they stop, they're like, oh, and then they do stop. Mm. It's like, well, I need, to, I need to keep active. I need to keep my mind going. Yeah. I need to keep. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, I'm having, I need a purpose. I mean, the 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 one bit of advice I'd give also is that uh, the one thing that's really really helped me post cricket. So when, when we're both playing for Australia, mm. we get the best nutrition, the best access to doctors. We train. I mean, they keep us fit. We, we have to keep fit to play for, mm. Austra- you know, mm. play, play for Australia. That's our job. We actually pay to keep fit, which mm. is the best job in the world. <laughs> when that finishes and you've got to keep yourself fit, it's a different game. So the best thing that I've done now is, you know, I do F- F45 every morning. I set my alarm for 4.15. Every morning, Jeez, that's early. I I then Back do a the snooze. I then do a well. Good old days, we get home at four fifteen. <laughs> Set my alarm for four fifteen. I then I then snooze until four forty because I can't get up. I have to drop a hat unless I'm going fishing. 
<laughs> I get up at four forty. Mindset. <laughs> I go do the gym work forty five minutes. Come home, have a coffee. So by six ten in the morning, I've had a coffee. My wife Lana. Then we do the the sort of switcheroo. Then then she'll make all the kids lunches. Whilst I'm doing that, she'll get up and then she'll do the six forty five session. I'll take the kids and make sure they're ready for school. My my day is done by seven thirty. And I feel so good because I actually felt like I'm letting myself down if I don't train my body to get those natural feelings and, you know, all the endorphins are all kicked in yep. and I feel great and then I set the day up. Yeah. And then I can think clearly and think about what business opportunities are out there. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question that's the routine. that I'm, It's an impressive routine that I'm going to aspire to because you're right, it's a great, it's an amazing way to start the day and most importantly... I try and do it every day, health, but it's... For your health, yeah. yeah. Well, Binger, this has been super cool to be able to have you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. There are and have been so many amazing insights that you've that you've given me and everyone who's going to be listening at this. Um, thank you for sharing all of your experiences, amazing experiences and life experience that you've had with with us, and we are going to be all so much richer for a deeper understanding of everything that you've that you've been through and the lessons learned that um, that you've had throughout your life. So thanks for joining no, us thank, on. Thank you, mate. Thank you for being such a close mate. And I actually didn't even know that the mics were on there for a period of time. You know, we're just <laughs> sitting here having a chat about what we've been lucky to achieve and the things that we've had, the hard times. And, yeah, look, that's what life's about. But the thing in life that you do realise very, very quickly is that you know who your friends are and you value your friends and you hold on to them as tightly as you can. So it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Great, great job, eh? Who would have thought when you're smacking <laughs> balls out of the winning in your Premier League and you know, hitting sixes and bowling wickets and taking wickets for Australia that you're sitting behind a mic, you're doing a great job. So I can't wait to hear it. Thanks, Mingo. Go on, you, mate. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.